0: Today on the show, we tackle this question. How can dual income, high-earning couples, lower their income taxes? And I'm going to give you a litany of ideas. I'm going to give you an overall framework for how to think about this problem. Then I'm going to systematically go through a bunch of credits, deductions, itemized options for you that you might be able to use to lower your income taxes if this describes you. (laughs) Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets and I'm your host. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thrilled to bring you this question. And today's show is a special Q&A show. Comes, just going to handle this one question, but this question comes from a patron of the show. Uh, One of the benefits of patronage at the $200 a month level is that you get to pick the topic of the show. And today, this is a special request Q&A from Joshua. Joshua. if you haven't been over to the Patreon page uh, recently then uh, feel free to go over there but you'll see as you march up you can support the show at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron and there on that page I've got a bunch of bribes for you so you can contribute as little as a buck a month or uh, even up as high as a couple hundred dollars a month and there are a number of supporters of the show who send me a couple hundred dollars a month and in exchange for that there are a number of different benefits that program by the way is sold out right now although you can still um, send me money and I would greatly appreciate it but uh, the benefits are sold out but there are a number of benefits that that level of support gets. One of them is a monthly mastermind. Another one of those benefits, however, is that you get to pick the show topic. And so this question comes in from a uh, from a listener. And this listener, here's here's the question that he emailed me. Joshua, double income, medium to high earning couples frequently ask me how to lower their taxes. The second income is at a higher rate of 28%, plus, uh, over 28%, plus a state tax of 3.75% and social security of 7.65% or a total of 40% all in. And I really don't have a lot to tell them. Uh, I suggest to them that they calculate whether it's worth it for the second spouse to work. For example, you can do a your money or your lifestyle after-tax, after-child care, after-gas expenses, income per hour of total time spent at the job, commuting and working. I tell them the way the qualitative factors. I tell them to max their 401k and to invest in real estate. But I'm assuming I'm missing things. So even if you're not able to do a complete podcast on the subject, uh, maybe you could have some ideas. Thanks. Uh, and he goes on to say, one reason my wife doesn't work is it's simply not worth it for her to, to, for her to work. So we're going to tackle this question, and I'm going to give you The framework for it, and I'm going to try to give a number of specific suggestions that will at least inspire some creativity. That's my hope. Before we do that, I got a couple of quick announcements, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, talk about sponsors at the beginning of today's show. Announcement number one first, for patrons, if you are a patron, you should have gotten an email from me in the last couple of days. And that email is important because in it, I announced a QA conference call with me. And that conference call will be on Thursday, October 15th. 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you did not get that notification, check your email for the call-in number. Uh, but this, that is for anybody who is a patron, patron of the show. Uh, i was been slow the last two months due to all the changes in my personal life. I haven't been able to get the last two months of Q&A calls, the monthly Q&A calls done. And so as a thank you for sticking with me, even though I didn't deliver those, I'm doing a long conference call and I intend to answer as many questions as possible. So if you want to get a live question answer to your question on that conference call, check the patron page. If you're not a patron, go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron and you'll find all the details there. And if you do that before Thursday at 1 o'clock p.m., uh, you'll be able to participate in that call at any level of patronage. Number two benefit for patrons is because I've missed those last couple of months of Q&A calls, I've decided for the next eight weeks to do a weekly Q&A call with patrons who are at $10 and up rather than a monthly Q&A call. So for the next eight weeks, uh, each week I'm doing a Q&A call call uh, uh, at a certain day and a certain time. Those details are also on the patron page. If you would like to get access to those Q&A calls, just go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Sign up for supporting the show at $10 a month and greater, and you will quickly be able to have access – you'll immediately be able to have access to that, and you can have access to those Q&A calls each week going forward for the next eight weeks. Uh, sponsors of the day, number one is Paladin Registry. Uh, paladin, if you're not familiar, if you haven't listened to it, go to listen to episode 248 where we launched Paladin Registry. But in essence, if you are looking for a financial advisor, I would recommend that you start by going to radicalpersonalfinance.com slash paladin. Listen to episode 248 of the show for a one-hour discussion with the founder of that uh, website, but it's a financial advisor referral service. And I'd like you to check it out and see and start your search there as you search for a good financial advisor. I'm starting to receive, I received one email from a listener who has gone ahead and started that, started interviewing financial advisors through that that system. If you have done that or if you are doing it, I would love to collect your feedback on that uh, on their service. Uh, remember, the sponsors are here to serve you. But if you're looking for a good financial advisor, go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Paladin, put in your information and start interviewing the advisors that the system is there. They're carefully curated and vetted and hopefully that will help you to Get a good one. Sponsor of the day number two is you need a budget budgeting software. Uh, this is the budgeting software that I now use to run my family's budgeting, and it is fantastic. For details on that, listen to episode two hundred and forty six for an extensive review of the software and, interview and an interview and an interview with the founder. Of the show. Uh, You can download a free 30 day free trial at radicalpersonalfinance.com/slash YNAB. YNAB stands for you need a budget. So go to radicalpersonalfinance.com/slash YNAB, download the free software. It's a free 30 day trial. Put in some information. I recommend you just keep it very simple. Do one bank account, do your personal checking account, and just work with it for 30 days. Take the free classes that they offer and see if you like it. I personally love it, and I think everybody should be budgeting uh, with this software. as a starting place. It's fantastic. So uh, announcements and sponsors done. Let's go on to the major point. So let's talk about tax planning. This question of how can – specifically how it's stated, how can a dual-income, high-earning household lower their taxes? This is a thorny one because from the perspective of taxes, this is the absolute worst place to be. Households that are made up of two employees, both working outside the house, both earning high incomes, are screwed by the U.S. tax code. Now, the level of your screwedness depends on where you live, how much you earn, what you do, all of the, what kind of company you work for, those kinds of things. But this is absolutely the worst place to be. And this is why the political gamesters uh, get away with talking about – how the you know, the rich aren't taxed enough. Most famously when Warren Buffett, you know, a couple of years ago made all the news and was trotting around talking about how, you know, my secretary pays more in taxes, which is a lie, it's stupid, uh, because a secretary doesn't pay more in taxes, but as expressed at a ratio of income, it's absolutely true because a secretary is earning income and is paying taxes on her earned income. And so she's going to be taxed on earned income, wages and salaries, at a higher rate than Buffett's income, which is all straight. Structured in the form of dividend payments. Now, this is an intentional uh, plan behind the tax code, but what it just illustrates in stark contrast is how uh, employees are screwed, basically. Now, in order to reduce your income tax, you must reduce your income. And it's absolutely as simple as that. The higher the income that you earn... Number one, the higher the total tax amount that you will pay, and number two, the higher the total rate that you pay. So the only way to reduce your income tax is to reduce your income. This is why the system that we have of progressive taxation is so stupid. You're always disincentivized from making more money unless you have a really compelling reason to do it because the more money you make, the more total tax you're going to pay and the higher rate of tax you're going to pay. So the simple answer to the question of how do I reduce my income taxes is simply, well, how can I reduce my income? Now, many of you are sitting there shaking your head saying, well, how could Joshua say I can reduce my income? I thought he was going to give me something intelligent. Well, that's where we get into the major question that you're asking, which is, is there a way that I can reduce my income on paper without actually reducing my income in reality? Or is there a way that I can play some kind of trick to reduce my income without actually reducing my lifestyle? is there some fancy trick some fancy deduction some fancy credit some little thing that i can use to allow me to spend the same amount of money but pay less in taxes the answer to that question is maybe you might be able to play some tricks on paper with your income and with your deductions and with everything like that if you're willing to jump through hoops and if you're not consuming all of your income if you have a high income and you consume all or most of that income, then there's not going to be anything that you can do to affect your taxation. Every single tax planning strategy that I know of is going to involve some level of change in your level of consumption. Uh, the best example I could use of this would be making a 401k contribution. Uh, this would be the first place that any employee would start. Make a uh, make a 401k contribution. Well, as I'll go over in a moment, this is a t- income timing strategy and basically what you're doing is saying, well, I don't need to consume this income now, so I'm going to put it into a 401k account and then later I'll consume it at a lower tax rate. That's the whole gist of the strategy. It's an income timing strategy, but that assumes that you're not going to spend the money. You might think I'm belaboring a point, and I am. Most of you listening aren't living up to your income, but many couples are. And the simple reality is that the the high-earning couple that's also the high-consumption couple is the ideal – this is the ideal household from the perspective of US tax policy because you are absolutely going to pay the highest amount of taxes. You must be able to be somewhat flexible with your consumption patterns if you're going to implement any strategies around taxes. Now, it's up to you uh, to try to figure out the reason why this is the case. I I have my own opinions on it. Are they right? Are they wrong? I don't know. Uh, Personally, I think the the system that uh, results in this being the fact that high-income earning households from uh, wages and salaries, high-consumption households are the most heavily taxed, Personally, I think it's stupid. It's a stupid lifestyle for most people. And there are much smarter, more intelligent lifestyles, the ways that you can achieve better results without paying and living in this high-tax lifestyle. But everything is oriented around this type of lifestyle in our modern American society. We're trained from the beginning to be consumers. We're taught to be a homogenous society so that we're easily marketed to. Uh, Your class is going to determine for most people your level of consumption. The neighborhood that you live in uh, will be determined. By the type of job that you have. The type of job that you have will determine what type of car you should wear, what type of clothes you should wear. So we've become a very homogenous system, and this leads to a need for high levels of income and high levels of consumption. You've got to be a little bit countercultural in order to go against that and save money on your taxes. So it's up to you to figure out why. I'd say just simply look at your lifestyle straight ahead and then think about it intentionally. Create your life and your lifestyle intentionally. If you're willing to think about your lifestyle and create it intentionally, figure out what's really important to you, and if you're willing to adjust your consumption patterns so that there's some flexibility in your budget, then you can design a much more efficient Lifestyle for yourself. Now, let me give you the framework for tax planning. And this is very important that you understand. There are th- only three major tax planning strategies that I'm aware of. And all of the little tips and tricks fit into these strategies. And these include number one, income timing strategies, or deduct- let's just go with t- we'll call them timing strategies, which a timing strategy is when do we recognize the income. Do we bring it forward or do we defer it out? Do we push it to the future or bring it forward to today? Any type of timing strategy will involve when do we actually recognize the income Uh, or it'll involve when do we recognize the expense or the deduction? Do we push the deduction forward or do we bring it forward to today? If this is your first time understanding or hearing about the concept of timing strategies, don't worry. I'll explain it more in a moment when we go through some specific ideas that could be applied to a dual-income household. Or go back and listen to episode 36 of Radical Personal Finance, wherein I talk in detail about this as a framework. The second of the three strategies would involve income shifting. This is where we are shifting the, the income that we have from a high-rate taxpayer to a low-rate taxpayer or from uh, moving an expense from a pre-tax expense to – or from post-tax expense to a, to a pre-tax expense by shifting it among an entity. The third strategy would be a conversion strategy where we're converting income from a high-tax rate activity to a low-tax rate activity. But th- this is uh, This is the framework that you need to apply. So – If you understand the framework, then you can look at your own situation and understand what is the best way for me to apply it. Again, go listen to episode 36 and episode 41 of Radical Personal Finance for an in-depth discussion on it. By starting with goals, you'll be able to figure out how can I achieve my actual goals and apply the appropriate strategy to lower my taxation. So begin with what is my ideal life? What is my ideal lifestyle? What is my ideal day? What do I want the meaning of my life to be? At my funeral, what do I want the meaning of my life to be? Good journaling exercise for you if you've never done it. Sit down and write your eulogy. Find yourself a quiet place. Get a cup of coffee. Sit down with a journal and a pen that you like writing with or whatever your preferred way of writing is, maybe your computer, and write your eulogy as you would like your best friend to deliver it for you at your funeral. And then look at that eulogy and figure out, well, what do I need to do to make this eulogy true so my friends don't have to lie about me at my funeral? If you start there, what you'll start to get closer to is what is the overall impact and meaning of your life? And that might include what you're doing at your job or it might include something different. By starting with that as a perspective, then you can efficiently design the financial plan, the tax plan, to help you to accomplish that. Here would be a simple example. Let's say that you are a dual-income household like so many people are. That means that when we put the aggregate of your taxes together – and we'll, go, we'll, we'll talk about the different types of taxes you're paying in a moment. But When you put the aggregate of your taxes together, uh, then the second income is being taxed at an aggregate rate of about 40-ish percent. Now, assume that you're in a situation like so many families are where you have children at home and you have also aging parents. And perhaps you have an aging parent who needs care of some kind. Uh, well, there are a couple ways that you can do this. Number one, you can keep on working at your job and you can continue to earn money. You can use that money to pay with – number one, you got to pay 40 percent on every dollar. You can you turn around use that money. You can hi- use it to hire a caregiver for your parents. You can use it to hire caregivers for your kids, all of which are extremely expensive activities So you're going to earn a dollar, pay 40 cents in tax to the government, and then use some of the 60 cents that's left over to pay for the caregiver and pay for your kids, which is all non-deductible activities. Well, if your your goal of your eulogy is to be a corporate uh, titan and you are proud that your best friend talks about your business acumen and how high you rose in the ranks of the corporate life, that would be an appropriate strategy. But perhaps your eulogy involves something like, uh, you know, Joshua was the most loving person I know. He always had time for the people that were close to him. He built strong family relationships. Uh, You know, his family always knew that no matter what, he loved and cared about them. I'm not saying that you can't maintain that as an accurate reality uh, through hiring caregivers for your children and for your parents. But if you were facing a situation like that, it might be much more efficient for you to simply say, Why don't we stop paying this 40% marginal tax rates, drop back, cut our income, cut our taxes, and I'll go ahead and be the caregiver for parents and kids. It's up to you what you do. I'm not telling you how to live your life, but that would explain an example of how your long-term values would impact what you actually did and the type of strategy that you chose to pursue. It's up to you to to figure out how to actually implement it. So begin with what are your actual goals for your life and your lifestyle and then design around those goals an intentional plan. A good way to think about this is pretend that you're hired as a consultant to a business, the business of you, Inc., so Joshua Sheets Incorporated. And if I were hired as a consultant to Joshua Sheets Incorporated and I were hired to run Joshua Sheets's life, what would I do? Well, I would start with saying what is the mission and purpose of this company? Why does this company exist? Get very clear on that. Bring that back to your life. Why do you exist? Get very clear on that. That's number one. Number two, I would do an audit to find out where are we with regard to fulfilling our mission. What's the current status? Is Joshua Sheets on track to fulfill the mission for why he exists? Is he ahead of the game? Is he behind the game? Where are we with regard to that mission? Next, number three, if I were coaching Joshua Sheets, Inc., I would say, all right, we've got a clear mission and purpose. What tools and equipment and personnel are going to be required for us to achieve our mission? Is this mission the type of thing that will be achieved with a small number of employees or a large number of employees? Minimal equipment, lots of work. Maximum equipment, minimal work. All goes back to the mission and purpose. Then I would go to the financials and I would say, where are we With regard to our financials, what income do we have? What assets do we have? We'd take a look at a balance sheet and we'd create a balance sheet. And then I would say, where are we with regard to our cash flow, our income and our outgo? That's where our cash flow statement works in. Search the archives for balance sheet and cash flow statement and you'll see how those things drive everything in the financial plan. So you start with the big picture and then you go to the line-by-line item analysis You've got to have both the big picture and the line-by-line item analysis in order to do effective tax planning because tax planning is not one big thing. It's many, many little things applied in a specific local situation. If you're a corporate executive living in New York City paying an excess of 50% taxes and you find out that your mission statement, your purpose statement, actually involves you rescuing uh, you know, Mustang ponies in Wyoming – You'd be a fool to continue paying 50 percent of your income in taxes when you can go and uh, take $100,000 and buy yourself a ranch and start rescuing Mustang ponies in Wyoming in a state that has no income tax, no state income tax. And you drop your total tax burden to under 10 percent. That would be the big win. But if, on the other hand, your mission is to transform New York City and bring it into a a global leader as a city, well – Sitting on your horse ranch in Wyoming isn't a very good way to do that. So first you make sure the big things are there by talking about mission, purpose, strategy. Then you go to the line-by-line item. And whether you're running a horse ranch in Wyoming or whether you're you're running the city government in New York City, you go line-by-line through the budget, through the balance sheet, and you make sure that you're approaching things efficiently. What happens though is people get these things wrong. I'm, belaboring, I'm laboring on this point. Hopefully, I'm not belaboring it, but I'm laboring on this point because this is what I see throughout the world that people get wrong. The basics of tax advice is start a 401k. Well, a 401k might be a useful tool for you or it might not. I regret some of my 401K contributions at this point in my financial life because I wasn't clear enough on my mission and purpose and what I wanted my life to look like when I was making those contributions. And how many times have you seen this happen where somebody diligently la- diligently labors to put money in their 401K? Then they decide they want to pursue another course of action, and now they have no access to the money that's in their 401K because they took that deal of giving up access to it, thinking that that was what they needed to do to reduce their taxes. In some circumstances, it might have been much better for them just to put the money in a bank account, pay the tax now, so that they could fulfill their larger purpose and their larger mission. And we get these things wrong. We get them back backwards by focusing first on the strategy and on the tactic instead of for, focusing first on the mission and on the purpose. The strategy and the tactic is important. But it must be subjugated to its proper place in our planning approach. If you're not clear on the mission, purpose, and vision for what you're trying to accomplish, you don't know whether you should build warships, airplanes, or intercontinental ballistic missiles, or order you know a bunch of rifles for your soldiers. If you're fighting a global superpower the intercont- and you want to have a way to destroy their major airbase facilities, an intercontinental ballistic missile is a useful tool. If you're fighting a guerrilla warfare in the streets of a far-flung city, you need rifles and well-trained people, not intercontinental ballistic missiles. I'm mixing about a dozen metaphors in this show, and I'm going to move on. But don't miss the point. Get clear on the big picture and then craft the plan to that. Don't start with this prescribed, predetermined lifestyle that is marketed from the pages of every financial magazine, from the advertisement on every page of every communica- you know, media communication that you get. Create your own lifestyle. Choose it yourself based upon your personal mission, your personal values. Design it intentionally. That's the most efficient process for you to build a good tax plan. If you've got that message loud and clear, now let's dig into the specifics. So back to the analysis. We need to begin with some basic financial statements, balance sheet, cash flow statement, and we need to do an analysis of where we are with regard to the total taxes paid over the previous – let's go with year, whatever the accounting period is that you're going to look at, but let's go with year. This will be where most couples, if you're helping somebody with tax planning or if you're doing it yourself, this will be where most people will absolutely fail. Because most people do not have any kind of financial records. They don't have any kind of transaction record. They don't have any ability or knowledge of what they're actually paying in taxes. You can get some of this info directly from the tax return. So a good place to start if you're doing this for yourself is learn how to read your tax return. Take a look through. They're not that complicated, uh, especially for employees. Just go through and read it. And what you want to do is you want to figure out how much total tax did I pay? And here you'll see the first reason why you need a complete cash flow statement. There are many kinds of taxes. And federal income tax is only one type of tax. As my listener who asked the question astutely stated, there are other types of taxes including state income taxes, also including employment taxes. And as an employee, employment taxes will be a major factor in your planning. Remember that the employment taxes that you pay as a W-2 employee, salaried employee, are going to be always 7.65% of the first $118,500 that you earn. So for, every one, for, for the first $118,500 that you earn, you're going to pay $9,065 of employment taxes. That's what $118,500 is a 2015 Social Security wage base. Then you're going to pay an additional 1.45% Medicare tax on every dollar in excess of that. And then you need to look to see if you're going to pay the additional Medicare, Obamacare taxes uh, on investment earnings. And, and it gets a little more, sorry, more complicated, but it's less apt. You, you do need to look through that. That may or may not be a big number for you. But for every, again, 120 grand, you are going to pay 9000 bucks of employment taxes. You need to be aware of that and you need to factor that in. And here's where scale of income becomes a big deal. You've got to look and understand what is the scale of your income? What does high income actually mean? If you have a $100,000 income, you can do a lot to save taxes with simple retirement accounts and deferral of income. If you have a million-dollar income, a 401k deferral is practically useless to you. Just consider that if you make a maximum 401k deferral amount in 2015 of $18,000, if you're earning $100,000 a year, that'll allow you to save 18% of your income. That'll be useful for you. If you're making a million dollars a year, then the 401k account will allow you to save 1.8% of your income. Not that big of a deal. So you've got to look to figure out what are my big taxes that I'm facing and what are going to be the strategies that are going to get me there? Back to that $100,000 and $1 million number. If you're making $100,000 a year, your federal income taxes are not going to be very, very substantial, especially as compared to things like your employment taxes. Your employment taxes are going to be a big, big number for you, 9000 bucks ish on you know, $120,000. So that's going to be a big number, and it's going to be comparable in many ways to your federal income taxes that you're paying. If you're making a million bucks, then the employment taxes are going to be relatively insignificant. But the federal income taxes are going to be extremely significant. So you've got to always keep in mind that your scale here is a big deal. So that's why you look at your actual cash flow statement. And on that cash flow statement, you start with gross income your total income prior to any taxation and then you have a line item for every single category of expense and every single category of income. So you know where is your income coming from and what is every expense, including all of the different types of taxes that you're paying. Based upon which of those tax line items is the largest and we'll keep it simple, employment taxes, federal income taxes and state income taxes. That's going to adjust your strategy. But you also want to look at your other taxes, property taxes, sales taxes, miscellaneous uh, consumption taxes, use taxes, et cetera, and figure out which of those is going to be the biggest deal to you. Most people simply will not either have the capacity or make the time to create good data, uh, to create for themselves good statements. But if you have it, It should show you the big wins. Example: You can. You're a dual-income, high-income earning household, and this goes back to my listener's point about calculate the actual costs of working. Let's say that you're a dual-income, high-income earning household. One of you has a corporate job where you uh, work in one office location. The other of you has a corporate job where you're on the road a lot, sales. Okay? I just was up in Asheville, North Carolina. I spoke with a bunch of salespeople. It's a big financial hub. Excuse me, not Asheville. Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, big financial hub for, for sales guys. Uh, they spend most of their week on an airplane. It doesn't really matter where they live. They pick Charlotte because it's good cost of living uh, and it has easy access through the airport. Now – Two households working, living in New or two uh, a couple, both people working, living in New Jersey, you can dicker around and get a child and dependent care tax credit if you qualify based upon the income limitations. And but your maximum tax credit here is twelve hundred bucks. That's the most that you're going to be able to get for dependent and child care credit, twelve hundred bucks. You might look down, however, and notice that you're paying ten thousand to twelve thousand dollars a year of property taxes to live in New Jersey, and you realize that well, if we just made a simple shift and moved from New Jersey to a state with lower property taxes, which is pretty easy to find, then all of a sudden we could kiss, say, $8,000 a year of these property taxes goodbye. And if the employment situation works out where one of the spouse can negotiate a work from home scenario for a part-time pay, living in a different state, and the other spouse is on an airplane anyway, you might find the big win. A lot easier to just simply change property taxes by changing states than it is to try to figure out how can I maximize my dependent care credit. If you're eligible for it, take it. But stay focused on the big wins first. And when you start looking and saying, oh, my state income tax, I can change that and my property tax level. Now all of a sudden, you open up more wins for yourself. At this point of my knowledge and understanding of tax planning, I am convinced that the big wins of tax planning are all going to be major lifestyle changes. And they're not going to be found in lists of deductions and credits. I'm going to give you a list of deductions and credits, but the big wins, I'm convinced, are not going to be there. I could be wrong. If you can prove me wrong, tell me. I've never really found somebody who does a good job and can say, look, here, Joshua is your pro. So I've made this up from synthesizing information. But I'm convinced they're major lifestyle changes. And by starting with the vision, mission, purpose, then focusing on the aggregate of all the different types of taxes, starting there, that's going to be the major wins before we get to the minor wins. Now, to keep this continued to be practical with that as your backdrop, now let's dig into what can you actually do to lower income taxes? I'm going to stay focused on federal income taxes. The strategies for changing employment taxes are going to involve uh, changing who you work for and how you work. Uh, that will—that's a different show for another day, the strategies of state income taxes are going to involve a very small number of credits and changing states. and That should be something you should seriously consider, but that's also a show for another day. Let's stay focused on federal income taxes. Let me give some examples of how we could approach this problem with the backdrop I've given you for young couples. Here's the stereotypical case study I'm going to use. and Here's why I say that the Basic situation, that the high-income, dual-income household is a disaster from a tax perspective. Uh, Pretend I have two attorneys that are married to each other. Each of them makes $150,000 a year as employees of a large law firm. So you've got $300,000 of total gross income. Well, that kind of lifestyle for most people is going to lead to – a certain consumption pattern. It would be an unusual attorney who would drive around a 1998 Toyota Corolla like I do. In general, if you're going to be an attorney, you need to uh, maintain your image. You need to signal the proper amount of competence for your clients. That's going to involve your purchasing a BMW or a Mercedes. Can you avoid that? Well, I'm not sure I would. Because it is important, you have to market the appropriate thing. You have to put forth that uh, again signaling. You have to signal uh, how you want to be perceived, and you need to be perceived as successful in your career in order to attract clients, which is the way you make partner, where you go from one hundred and fifty thousand to a million five per year, which is the basic function. But what that means is that early in your career you are purchasing an expensive car let's say you find a good deal you're still 20000 bucks well you're going to incur sales tax on $20000 car big sales tax you're going to incur depreciation $20000 car and this is about as conservative as i can conceive even with talking about a $20000 car but big depreciations $20000 car and worst of all all of these expenses are after tax expenses as an employee and at an, uh, as an employed attorney at a large law firm, you're going to have a minimal ability to deduct any personal transportation expenses. What else is associated with it? Well, you got to have a certain level of clothes. I mean it's going to mean uh, nice suits. Well, those clothes are entirely non-deductible. The only type of work clothes that are deductible are work, uh, specialized work clothes that are needed for a specialized occupation. A nice suit for an attorney doesn't count. You're going to, based upon your social status as a working professional, you're going to be expected to live a certain lifestyle, which means you need a moderately fancy house or apartment or condo. Not much you can do there as far as, say, tax savings. You're going to be expected to engage in a certain lifestyle. Uh, Drinks after hours, dinners out, a certain level of entertainment, most of which is going to be relatively expensive and all after taxes. As a junior... uh, Considering here a young couple uh, just starting out as a junior level uh, attorney, you're not going to have a substantially padded expense account for you to easily be able to move that entertainment over and deal with that on the corporate credit card. So what you have here is you have a relatively high gross income with very few deductions. And all of the income is going to be front-loaded, and most of your expenses are non-deductible. So you have heavy tax across the board, and every one of your tax categories is heavy. You're paying high employment taxes because your income is salaried. You're paying high income taxes because you have a high household income. You have very few deductions that you can put against that. You have – all of your income is structured as as salary, so you're not able to uh, take advantage of any capital gains tax rates or dividend tax rates. This is the problem that employed dual-income households face. Now, I said the big wins are going to be major lifestyle changes, not just in lists of deductions and credits. Here would be the example. Compare that scenario to The Millionaire Next Door as outlined in Tom Stanley's books. Let's assume that uh, instead of being a young attorney, I decide I'm going to be a – a young house flipper. Well, all of a sudden, I don't need to drive a BMW or a Mercedes. I can drive a six or eight thousand dollar Ford F one hundred and fifty. That Ford F one hundred and fifty is going to be an important part of my business, and so as part of that business, now it is a either a depreciable asset or a deductible cap a deductible expense uh, asset. Uh, so I can deduct the cost of it right off of my profit. Uh, now I don't need to set up a high-cost office in a Class A office space. I can set up a home office. Because of the nature of my work, most of my driving now goes from instead of me commuting to my inner-city attorney office, now most of my driving is going to be have some uh, business association to it. Uh, when I'm driving my pickup truck, I might be going to look at a house. I might be going to meet with a contractor. I might be going to deal with something like that. I can wear a pair of work boots and blue jeans, which cost me 8 bucks at the local – 4 bucks at the local Goodwill. Uh, I can – Live in a lower, uh, a lower middle cl- or a, a middle class. Type of neighborhood instead of having to live in the upper class posh neighborhood with all the fancy, uh, all the fancy people. Because I'm not trying to get my neighbors as my clients and joining the local country club so I can meet prospective legal clients. Rather, I'm simply trying to find people who need to rent houses, and I can have the most comfortable house in my uh, lower middle class or middle class neighborhood instead of having the aspirational house in my aspirational neighborhood. Because I wear blue jeans and drive an F150, I can enjoy a Friday night out at the local high school football game. a a $6 beer and a $4 hot dog instead of having to go out to the fancy country club. So even if I made the same net, let's say that I grossed $150,000 – even the the structure of my company where I can – the structure that I can put in place with my simple house flipping company uh, is going to be much more advantageous from the the structure of my income versus the W-2 attorney income. So – even if I just grossed the same amount, $150,000 from a legal legal job as a as a junior attorney or $150,000 as a house flipper, there's going to be a dramatic difference in lifestyle and taxes based upon that. That's why I talk about the big wins going to be major lifestyle changes. I hope that's helpful. <laughs> Next, let's go on to applying those strategies and the order of this show, in case it's unclear, focusing on the things that have the biggest impact first – now we're moving on to the things that are going to have the medium impact and we'll finish with the list of credits and deductions that are going to have the least impact uh, rather than starting with all the noise of credits and deductions, blah, 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 that has a small impact. So medium impact, let's apply these timing strategies, shifting strategies and conversion strategies to employees. How could we implement this? Well, first, timing strategies. Any kind of timing where we are either deferring or accelerating taxable income or deferring or accelerating tax deductions in order to take advantage of uh, lower, the lowest tax rates. With regard to your income, one of the things that you should think very carefully about is how could we – when do we want to actually recognize the income? Let's uh, start with 401Ks. 401K, major f- – place to start. I can put $18,000 in a 401k. Well, what you're doing is you're deferring the recognition of the $18,000 of income from today to a future date. And the only reason that you would do this is if you expect to be in a lower tax bracket in the future at retirement than you do today. Probably that's a reasonable expectation. Now, could you do that with a heavy focus early in your career? What most people do aren't doing if they're early in their career as employees is focusing first on savings. Most people are focusing first on getting their consumption established. Back to my stereotypical dual attorneys in a household uh, as a simple example, both of them we're going to get our cars, we're out of college now, we're tired of being broke students, we're going to get our house set up, we're going to get our cars set up, we're going to get all of our, you know, all of our things set up, we're going to have our fancy vacations. And so what you do what most of those people are doing is they start by focusing on the lifestyle expenditures. And they don't focus first on the savings and investments. What often ends up happening is kids come along. And after a while, when kids come along, one of the spouses will switch to either part-time or switch to staying at home. This is often what happens. Even if both spouses don't switch to doing that, there are going to be other expenses. And because you start to have kids, there might be some deductions that are associated with that. What I would love to see people do is substantially reduce their income in the early years by investing the maximum in the 401k. And then as their kids come along and perhaps they pull back a little bit from the career track, perhaps they have you know child credits and, and things like that that are slightly helpful, then go ahead and pull back on the 401k distribu- excuse me contributions and save less in the 401k. That could be a timing strategy. Front-load your retirement plan contributions. If you have – back to the big picture vision. If you don't always intend to be employees and most people don't always intend to be employees, usually in most families that I've worked with, there's some kind of self-employment, uh, career transition that people want to do. Do that early. So instead of both people trying to work in full-time jobs where now you're paying high marginal tax rates on the on the top levels of income and then at some point in time we're going to have kids and now uh, mom or dad is going to transition to the next job, the building the business that can be the part-time business from home, switching from being the employed attorney to being the self-employed attorney, why don't you do that early? Take that lower income that it requires to set up a business earlier in life. When the marginal tax rate is the highest and adjust the timing and bring that reduction of income forward instead of trying to do it when you've got a two-year-old in the house uh, and you're going to have lower tax rates because of, of that transition. So use those high-earning years and think like a family unit instead of as business partners. When you don't have many deductions to use, renting an apartment perhaps, you don't have mortgage interest deductions, things like that, why not just keep your income low and your expenses low and build the business then? You can do the same thing with your investments even if you're not using retirement plans and even if you're not investing in business. If you're going to invest in something that's going to require capital expenditure, do that early so that you can use your upfront depreciation expenses, which are going to be higher in the beginning stages, to offset some of your higher earned income. This is back to the strategy that my listener mentioned of real estate. Uh, one of the major advantages of real estate is you can enjoy the higher upfront depreciation. And that depreciation can count against your income from the investment and also potentially against the income from your job. So do that early. Buy those investments early using that upfront depreciation to offset the high income so that over time you can pivot. And instead of needing to live on the high income, you can live off of the in- your high earned income. You can live off the income from your investments. Working a high-income job can be an awesome strategy. That young attorney can – those young attorneys can do a really amazing job with that $300,000 income. And if they just switch from buying BMWs, fancy aspirational middle-class – middle-upper upper, middle-class housing, uh, all of the fancy deals and they focus on buying investments. And all of a sudden, you take five years of focused effort and they come out the other end with five to ten rental houses – that's going to make a massive difference in their overall lifetime wealth as compared to the kind of scuzzy-looking vehicles, worn-out suits, et cetera. Now, obviously, you've got to figure out a way to meet the minimum requirements, and that's up to you. But as a concept, that can be a, a useful scenario. Timing of your expenses or your deductible incomes. Obviously, we talked about funding the retirement accounts early uh, from a tax perspective. Rather see those retirement accounts funded to the max from an early perspective if you're going to use retirement accounts. Uh, consider funding all of the accounts that you have. Can you fund 529 plans early when you can take the deductions if you're going to use 529 plans, if you're going to be able to get a deduction on your state income taxes? Uh, can you fund your health uh, health savings accounts? Fund those early. Uh, maximize all of your expenses and deductions. As an employee, most of your deductions are going to be the, the freebies, the retirement plans, and things like that. Those all have problems associated with them. They're locking up the money. That's a show for another day. There aren't many deductions that you can really, uh, really capitalize on. That's what's so limiting about being an employee as compared to a business owner. Shifting strategies. Shifting strategies always involve how can we shift income from a high-rate taxpayer to a low-rate taxpayer – uh, here there's not much you can do as an employee you can't assign the income from your job to your 8-year-old daughter it's just not going to work um you could focus on uh, the state that you live in, that's a big deal. That would be one way of shifting from one high tax rate jurisdiction to a low tax rate jurisdiction. This would be especially useful to you if you live on an airplane or if you work remotely or if your company has multiple locations. Sometimes this could be an easy type of transfer, easier type of transfer to make. Shift from the high tax rate state to the low tax rate state. Look for that or the high tax rate county to the low tax rate county. On expenses, you just want to look to see are there any expenses that you can shift from personal expenses over to the company. Simple examples come to mind here. Uh, Phone. Do you pay for a personal phone and you have business on it or does your employer pay for it? Uh, The IRS is pretty loose with simple things like an iPhone, iPhones, iPads, things like that. So get your employer at least to pay for that uh, that phone so that you don't have to pay for it completely yourself. Is that going to make a big difference if you're making $300,000 a year? No, but again, tax planning is all about little things. As many little things as possible. Can you arrange and negotiate a company car, sales reps, things like that? That company car or if you're in a service business, even if you're an employee, that company car can be a big benefit for you. Your employer by law is required to track your personal use and your business use and and to disallow any deductions for any personal use. Uh, But still, many businesses can be arranged in such a way that you are traveling from your home to the job site and therefore the business car is part of your business use. So look for any way to shift any personal expenses from your bank account over to the company's bank account. Finally, conversion strategies. Conversion strategies is all about where we're trying to convert income from a high tax rate activity to a low tax rate activity. First thing is can you convert from salary into ownership? Can you participate in some sort of bonus program, stock option program, executive compensation program? And rather than recognizing your salary immediately, can you start to transition to the ownership perspective? That's going to be a big savings. For your expenses, can you switch out some of your expenses and possibly transfer anything over to the company checkbook? Uh, For example, if you like to go out to fancy dinners – then go ahead and sign up to be part of the client entertainment team and do your fancy dinners out with clients. You can take your spouse along if your client's spouses are present. The IRS rules on that are that as long if, if, if your spouse's attendance is necessary in order to be appropriate for the situation because the people that you're entertaining for a business purpose also have their spouses along, then that's an okay scenario. If not, you would need to pay for your spouse uh, out of pocket and that would be a disallowed business expense. But can you just switch some of your entertainment over and turn it from personal entertainment into business entertainment? Uh, Why not do the fancy dinners out? Why not do the baseball games with clients? Things like that. It can be perfectly enjoyable. can help you to move it over to your expense account. Uh, Make sure you get all the little ones. (laughs) Take all the tax-free money you can get. Take the tax-free airline points. Take the tax-free airline miles. All of those types of things are a big deal. If you're paid a per diem allowance on business travel – uh, underspend your per diem, uh, and that can be tax free money that flows into your pocket. So you just look for whatever is appropriate to your situation. Now, let's go through some specific uh, employee benefits, deductions, credits, things like that. Always look for all the tax-free money that you can get. So for example, maximize the tax-free health insurance premiums that your company is paying for you. Get your $50,000 of group term life insurance premium for the company. That's free tax-free money. Get uh, any kind of health plans that that you can that are going to um, make be a benefit to you. Look for the tax-free merchandise that's distributed to the employer. Make sure that you carefully track all of the appropriate expenses of your employer. Simple one, make sure you get your cab fares tracked. Make sure that you get your supper money. If you can arrange... To work as an employee, if you're going to arrange to work from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. instead of 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and your employer agrees to pay you supper money because of your work hours, then those personal, otherwise personal supper expenses are converted into non-taxable income. Simple change could be something that could accumulate over time. Uh, again, make sure you get all those benefits that you can with uh, personal phones, computers, etc. Take advantage of any uh, meals and lodgings that your employer provides. If your employer provides, uh, for example, lunch on the premises so that they minimize the time that employees are away, that's a non-taxable fringe benefit. If your employer doesn't do that, consider investigating that and asking them to do it. You have to make sure that it's done for the convenience of the employer so it follows the, the rules, but that can be a substantial win. So maybe you can start a corporate program like that, and that could be substantial. How substantial? Well, consider this as an example. I'll I'll do some math here to show you what I mean. Little things add up. Let's assume that you're in the habit of spending $15 a day for lunch, uh, eating out each day on personal expenses. Ignore the concept of brown bagging for less. Uh, Just assume you're in the habit of doing this, going out every day with your coworkers. Well, $15 uh, per lunch per day times what? Let's use 220 days worked. That comes out to be $3,300 per year that you're spending on lunches. Because you're going out with coworkers and you're just simply going out for personal lunches, you have to pay for those lunch expenditures with after-tax dollars. So that means if you're in a 40% tax bracket with that higher income, take 3300 divide it by 0. 0.6, and you wind up with $5,500. You have to earn $5,500 just to pay for your lunches out every day. Now, assume you go to your employer and you ask your employer to go ahead and institute some sort of employee lunch program where, for the convenience of your employer, your employer serves lunch to all the employees every day. That's a valuable fringe benefit which can be fully deductible to the employer and allows you to save the $15 a day, and that's $5,500 that you don't have to earn to put towards that. Simple, small, but actually powerful in the aggregate. You could apply the same thing to coffee. A lot of people need to have, want to have a fancy coffee. Well, a couple dollars a day for a fancy coffee. What about going to your employer and asking them to install the equipment for a coffee bar for the employees? Even if you don't have a barista, what about just getting the equipment? Many employers might be willing to spend a few thousand dollars on fancy equipment. You go ahead and get fancy equipment. Now you can have fancy coffee and ask your employer or negotiate if you're in a leadership position. Uh, Arrange for a beautiful break place, a nice little outdoor patio seating where employees can go and have fancy coffee together. That's a material benefit which allows you to minimize your expenditures that are after taxes and move them over even as an employee to the business balance sheet. Get creative with that. Now, uh, make sure you, benef- you maximize any type of uh, flexible spending accounts or cafeteria plans that are established. Perhaps you can encourage and persuade your employer to establish a dependent care assistance program. Uh, and the benefits received under that type of program can be substantial to you. Maximize your employer educational assistance opportunities. If they provide for you any type of tuition payment, things like that, that can be extremely valuable. Shop for employers carefully based upon that, if nothing else. Simple example, if you wanted to be an attorney, uh, continue to pick on my attorneys. um, Maybe you get a job at a law firm that provides reimbursement for law school expenses And you get a job there as a paralegal and you work uh, through and you take advantage of their program. That would be a deductible expense for the employee – excuse me, for the employer and that's tax-free money for you, the employee. So if many of your uh, compatriots have to earn – let's say law school costs $100,000. If many other people have to earn – Money at a forty percent tax rate, so one hundred thousand dollars divided by 0.6 would be one hundred and sixty six thousand dollars. So your friends have to earn one hundred and sixty six thousand dollars pay to get the one hundred thousand dollars out that they can then use to pay for school, and you can get that as tax free as a tax free benefit by working for a firm as a paralegal and then allowing that firm to pay for law school. That could be a useful thing for you to be involved with. Maximize any of your employee awards programs get the gold watch, get the pen, uh, set up those programs as part of your employer so that they can benefit you. Try to take advantage of any scholarships or awards that you can find. Take advantage of any other fringe benefits that your employer provides. For example, sometimes you might be able to find a system where your employer will move you and will pay a moving allowance as part of your contract. Well, if you can negotiate that moving allowance and also involve that as something where you are purchasing real estate, you could theoretically put together a couple of those things to to create tax free income for yourself. If your moving allowance offsets some, me, yeah, your moving allowance offsets some of the costs of your moving, and you take advantage of the Section one twenty one uh, tax free income uh, from the sale of your house. You might be able to put those together to enrich yourself. If you need to drive to work, put together a carpool uh, association with some of your coworkers. Charge them money. Those carpool receipts uh, coming to you are tax-free income. As you can see, most of these ideas are things that will involve – many of these ideas are are things that will involve negotiation with your employer. something as simple as this. Let's say that you travel a lot for business and whenever you travel for business, you have to, uh, get two spouses, one, uh, Husband travels. Uh, Husband, husband's the one who works at a job that doesn't involve travel. Wife is traveling for business. Uh, husband's job involves a long commute. So what happens is the wife's job involves a short commute, and so she's able to take care of the dogs when she's home. But the husband's job has a long commute. So on the times when the wife is out traveling, that means that she uh, has to put the dogs in the kennel because the hus- during the day and pay for doggy daycare. So, doggy daycare rates in your area are a total of 20 bucks, 20 bucks per day. This happens a total of 40 days per year. 40 times 20 equals $800 per year that you spend in doggy daycare. So, you're going through that cash flow statement. You're asking yourself, is there a way that I could change this expense from a taxable expense and shift it over to a non taxable expense? Well, you look at that and you say that's eight hundred dollars we're spending, and the reason we're spending it is because it is part of uh, the travel expenditures. Well, it's not going to work to get your employer necessarily to pay you extra for the doggy daycare. Although check it out, but maybe you could convince your husband at his company to lobby for a dog friendly work environment so that he can just simply take the dog with him to work. Well, eight hundred bucks that otherwise was tax was after tax was an after tax expenditure. That meant that you had to earn $1,333 pre-taxes at a 40% aggregate rate to pay for that expense. Well, just simply him going in and asking to trans- trans- change the company into a, uh, a dog-friendly environment where he can take the dog to work is going to make a big, big difference. That's $1,333 that you don't have to earn in order to cover that expense. Now, you can go through more and more lists of all the deductions, uh, the above-the-line deductions, below-the-line deductions, You know your child-independent care tax credits, moving expenses. You can go through the list of those. But from, from here, all of those deductions are all going to be equally applicable to business owners or employees. Uh, hopefully, you see at least the process that you can apply to personal tax planning. It's a lot, but it's also just... A system of little things. But I'm going to close with reiterating the thing that my listener mentioned even in the comment. Well, two things actually that my listener mentioned even in the comment. Number one, you heard me at the beginning when reading his email talk about calculating is it worth it for the second spouse to work. I would challenge you, any of you listening, whether you're married, whether you're not, whether there's one income, whether there's multiple incomes – Go through the income calculations and figure out the true income per hour and figure out what it actually costs you to work. If you compare the expenditures that I went through as an example with my attorney example, the young aggressive attorneys working through these things, if you were to go through those list of expenses of what it actually costs to be a young attorney – and all of those lifestyle expenses associated with it, the long hours, the billable hours, things like that, you would find that the actual rate per hour, if you take the gross income, pull out the costs of working, the costs of lunches, the costs of the BMW, etc. If you pull out the rate per hour, it's actually much lower than it seems at first glance. Many of you listening would love that lifestyle. For me, I would hate it. I'd rather do what I'm doing now, which is work in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt every day and drive a $500 car because I enjoy this type of, this type of lifestyle much more than I would enjoy the other. It's a free world, sort of. You do what you want. But recognize the costs. And if you run those calculations and you actually sit down and figure out what are, what is the incremental tax rate, you might find the opportunity to do something different. I'm going to read here in closing one of my favorite emails that I've ever gotten from a listener of the show. Uh, and this uh, email says this: I've been meaning to tell you, Joshua, about some exciting changes in our family, much due to the inspiration from your show. After the inspiration to track expenses, cash flow, taxes, etc., and after reading the book you recommended, "How to Pay Zero Taxes," I realized that my wife did not need to be working. She put in her notice one month ago and will begin as a stay-at-home mom on Monday. She's thrilled. Through tax savings credits and reductions in income-based payments to student loans, I discovered nearly thirty thousand dollars in savings right away for her not working. In addition, we can enjoy more home cooking, slow living, and hopefully less stressful purchasing. Some example savings. Previous work expenses were $5,000 per year of the cost of actually working. Pay as you earn student loan payments, $6,000. Taxes, $7,000. Saver's credit, we now can get an additional $2,000 tax credit because of the lower income. And an IRA contribution for both of us saves us $3,000 of additional tax. Long story short, I discovered savings of nearly $30,000 for her not working. Now, instead of three hours of getting the family ready, sitting in traffic and getting to work late, I can wake up at 5 a.m., get on the express bus and be at work by 6 a.m., getting home much earlier, all while they sleep in, have a casual breakfast and enjoy life. Thank you for the inspiration and your shows on stay-at-home parenting. It's made a great difference in our lives. That is one of the my favorite emails that I've ever gotten uh, from the show. Uh, because I see this as a very doable thing for many people. The reason that I close with this email is to demonstrate to you that the major savings and the major lifestyle improvements are not found on a list of IRS Form 1040 deductions and credits. I hammered that point home throughout this show by starting with the things that are most impactful moving to less impactful moving to least impactful, which are deductions and credits. In short, consider your lifestyle. The modern U.S. American lifestyle for many people, especially many people in this situation, flat out sucks. I like think it's good, well characterized by uh, that Facebook meme that goes around of a uh, picture of massive gridlock on the highway. Uh, people, you know, I'm sitting in a car that I don't own on my way to, I'm sitting in traffic in a car that I don't own, driving on my way to work at a job that I don't like to pay for a house that I don't get to live in because I'm sitting in this car in traffic on the highway block, you know, going along the way and i got to do this so that i can pay for you bring it into dual income households and you say i've got to do this so that my spouse can be doing the same thing and we've got to get up early to take our kids to daycare so that we can pay with after tax money someone else to take care of our kids or so that we can pay our property taxes so that we can hire people to you know babysit our kids it sucks the lifestyle sucks and whoever sold us a bill of goods that you should determine your self worth based upon the amount of your income as measured in dollars Sorry, I don't buy it anymore. The whole concept of work, 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 work so that you can spend, 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 spend so that you can save a little bit of money so hopefully someday maybe you'll be able to retire and play golf every day is stupid. I'm not playing that game. Now, it's not either or. It's not you got to be broke and poor and make $10,000 a year just so you can be happy. I fully intend to make millions of dollars a year. That's the plan. I got the business plan for it. But that business plan is built out of mission, purpose, values, what I started with the show. And then it's built on lifestyle. Then it goes finally to tactics. If you're in the right place for so that that you're able to actually make these things happen, go for it. But consider as you're looking at saving taxes, is it really worth it? Should I make some big change or should I make the little changes and then do both of them? That would be how I would answer the question. Hope this content is useful to you. felt a little bit off of my game and a little bit off of my timing. I think I've done so many interview shows lately. it's It's been tough for me to get back on my timing, but uh, I'm working on it. So if this show was a little bit flat, let me know. Uh, I, I am working on it. A couple of things as we go, a couple of announcements. Uh, uh, well, number one, that email that I received from that listener, if, if – If Radical Personal Finance has helped you, would you do me a favor and just email me and let me know? It's so helpful and it's especially helpful. I am uh, launching the details of the coaching program that I'm starting, uh, personal coaching. Uh, I'll go over that in a future day. But I'd really love to have more emails like that to just simply share with people as part of testimonials that I can uh, show. Uh, I will – clear your name uh, from it i'll uh, redact your name so that it's private uh, or something like that but if you if you're okay with my sharing your name that would be helpful too but i'd love to get some emails from you guys joshua at radical if any of the content on the show has been helpful or of course you can leave the itunes reviews those are super useful and helpful as well remember that if you are a patron of the show on thursday what did i say at one o'clock Where's my calendar? Yeah, Thursday at 1 o'clock Eastern, there is a conference call for all patrons of the show. I have two hours blocked on my calendar. I intend to answer as many questions as possible and have a a conference call. You can dial into that. There's no video feed. I've cut out the video feed because the video feed was just a pain. So we're just going to do this with phone calls and actually get it done quickly. And also remember, for the next eight weeks, I am doing Q&A each week for patrons of the show at $10 and up. So feel free to go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron and sign up uh, to support the show there. Uh, Also, make sure to remember our sponsors of the day, Paladin Registry and YNAB. If you need a financial advisor, start by going to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Paladin. Interview the advisors there. See if anything is good for you. I don't get paid based upon your choosing any of those advisors. I get paid based upon your interviewing those advisors. So no harm, no foul. Feel free not to choose them. And if you have gone through that process, please give me feedback. Also, budgeting software, go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash YNAB. If you're not using You Need a Budget, YNAB, then check it out. Try it. Free 30-day trial at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash YNAB and see if it can be useful to you. Peace out, y'all. Be back soon.